welcome to our fifth episode and the third episode in our one reflection series. I'm joined by Dr. Cam Elgy. He's a friend of mine from medical school and a PGY1 at the Northern Ontario School of Medicine Orthopedics Program up in Thunder Bay. He's also a accomplished rock climber and a great personality. I'm happy to have you on, Cam. Hey, AJ, thanks for having me. Let's, uh, let's talk a bit about your program itself, because, you know, especially without uh, the ability to do electives this year, I'm sure people will want to hear a lot about the program up at NOSM. So um, how has your experience been so far at NOSM? You know, it's been great. And I, we shared a lot of this information at our sort of CARMS night, and a lot of it's available if you reach out to our seniors. But like the short story is that the NOSM program, it's a smaller program. Uh, there's a far fewer residents. We only take two residents a year, one Canadian resident and one international resident, uh, a much smaller group of staff, but a good range of specialties within that. We have people who do upper extremity, you know, foot and ankle, pelvis, spine. We have the whole range hand. Uh, so we have a whole range of interesting specialties, but, but it's a smaller group. So you get to know the staff really well uh, because it's a small group, uh, there's just different expectations. So we kind of is a different flow of our learning. We take early responsibility for our patients. It's like really stressed. Uh, you're expected to just manage your patients uh, and sort of try from day one to be as much as an independent, especially when it comes to floor management as you can and seek out help uh, when you're getting past, you know, what you're comfortable with. So that's been really useful because it's, it's good to just take responsibility and, and be a doctor and, and look after your patients. And of course, you know, because we're a small program, you're always one-to-one with staff you know, with rare exceptions when you're on call. So uh, operative opportunities are numerous. You know, yeah. I, we work with our staff one-on-one all the time and there's no fellows up here or very rarely do we have fellows. I, I haven't seen one yet. So you're never sort of second in the line to be first assist in the operating room with your staff, which means you get lots of early exposure. You know, the staff up here have all said the same thing to me. They said, no one in this program graduates without becoming an excellent technician. So that's, you know, a strong aspect of our program. Yeah, I had the, the positive fortune of being able to do an elective there, and I can attest to everything you said. I was in the OR, I think, 11 out of the 12 days that I was there. What What's different about your program? Um, you know, the advantage of Thunder Bay is that size and that camaraderie and, and that relationship with staff. Like, obviously, you have a professional relationship, but you get to know them a little better because it's a pretty small community. The other thing is, like, Thunder Bay is a nice place to live, especially in COVID-19. You know, we have beautiful access to the outdoors up here. In the summer, whenever I had weekends off, my wife and I would get out rock climbing. Um, There's, like, amazing rock climbing, amazing camping. I've been cross-country skiing all winter. Uh, So there's there's beautiful. If you like the outdoors, this is a great place to live, and it's in your backyard. There's no commute. Everything's right there. Yeah, I think you were just skiing before we had this chat today. So Yeah, it was great. So uh, as, as a medical student, you know, we're there to, to learn, uh, to make a good impression and to uh, just try to t- talk to people. But uh, sounds like a bit of a jump to, from, from where I'm at to where you're at. You know, you're talking about independently managing things, having to, you know, potentially be in situations where you're, you're learning uncomfortably and maybe even have to call for help. So to someone like me who, who hasn't really experienced that, uh, could you tell us about a time where you had to figure something out or um, you had to call for help? Uh, it's every day, right? Like there's no one time I, I've had to call for help. I've asked for help a lot, especially early on. The first three months of residency, you learn how to be a resident and then you continue to learn how to be a resident for really the first year and you're constantly learning, but it starts to get more comfortable. The, the transition to residency is that 
like someone slapped this like doctor label on you. And I always tell nurses and other colleagues not to call me doctor because I just, you know, I just, it feels pretentious as an R1 to make that assumption. But, but, uh, you know, you have that label and you have that responsibility now to sign your own orders, to make choices. And uh, it, you, you can get paralyzed by not knowing what you don't know. So I remember like, I think it was day one, you know, classic thing that happens. And this happened to me in medical school and I wasn't nearly stressed about it. Some nurse calls me and says, oh, I need like a reorder on this like Tylenol. And I was like, well, I don't, I don't know the patient at all. Like, do they have liver disease? I should look it up. Like, I gotta make sure I know the dose. How old are they? You know, you don't have these things ingrained in your brain. And now in retrospect, you know, it's like, you know, it's so easy, but you know, you worry about the possible complications of every little thing because you're responsible for that person's safety, you know? And like, if bad things happen, you've possibly done bad things to people. Um, one of the big advantages up here has been the culture that, that my senior residents have stressed is that from day one, you should try and be the doctor, like they're your patients. So even though you're, even though your staff's there to back you up and, you know, they might be looking over your shoulder, looking at your notes, making things go well, you know, you're not unsupported, but as much as you can, you should try and manage your patients. Like they're your patients. Are they well? How's their pain? Have you made sure everything's up to their update with their medications? Where are they going? Like, what's their follow-up plan? Sort it all out. Like you're looking after this person. You don't want them to fall through the cracks. Um, and that's probably the biggest jump as a medical student, especially in surgical rotations, you know, you kind of float through maybe you, and if you're really keen, like I remember I, I helped with writing orders, I helped do things, but they were never like my responsibility. And I could always walk away later. And it was, you know, you didn't have to worry about it as much as you do as a resident. It's a big transition to like it being your patient and having to take that responsibility and get used to making those choices. Sometimes when I'm rounding on patients, it just seems like uh, ask them this list of questions. I think you described it beautifully because you're transitioning from taking orders to taking ownership of your patients. I want to just talk a little bit more about the responsibilities you have as an R1. Perhaps we can divide them up by kind of location. So like clinic, ER, OR. Um, Could you just walk us through what your day-to-day responsibilities are? Sure. Like I said, up here, we're, we have the good fortune of having a lot of early responsibility because it teaches a lot, but you know, you're assigned to a certain staff and the, you know, before rounds every day, depending on how your day goes, you're responsible for seeing your post-op patients, seeing your admitted inpatients who are under your staff. So if I'm under one of the staff up here, I'd look at their list of patients, make sure I know who's under their service and I would prioritize my day. So if I know that we have rounds at seven, I'm going to come earlier. So I have time to round on, especially the post-op one day, one day, two patients. If I have some patients who've been here for a week who are waiting for long-term care, you know, I might save them for like after the OR or at lunchtime, I'd go see them. Um, so you're kind of managing your time that way. But my responsibility is to see all the patients we have admitted um, who are still our acute patients, make sure their orders are teed up, make sure there's no outstanding issues, see them, make sure they have, you know, anticipate and get ahead of any post-op complications. So you're always making sure you're asking around that stuff. Uh, and then always managing their disposition plan and making sure their, their notes and all their, their follow-up plans, and their documentation is done. So that's all part of your responsibility as a resident is making sure all that's, that's ready for your patients and constantly keeping the service moving for your staff. We don't up here because we're a smaller program. We don't run an orthopedic uh, service like some places do. We do have a bit of a trauma service. So when you're the trauma resident, which is actually what I am right now, I am responsible for sort of managing our trauma list, 
you know, making sure our pre-op patients are teed up. Even if somebody else saw them on call overnight, I'll like review the notes, make sure the patient's optimized, NPO, you know, antibiotic orders are written, you know, make sure they're medically optimized for surgery. If nothing, we have, we have missed anything. We've held the medication need to be held pre-op. So getting all that teed up. And then of course, any patient you operate on, uh, on call, uh, you tend to follow. So even if it's not under your staff, if you operate with a different staff, uh, but you were involved in the operation, you would then, I usually follow that patient uh, because you know, I operate and now I sort of take responsibility and they're my patient. So I, I make sure that their disposition is planned, do treat them like my patient, even if they're not on my staff list. Uh, so that's kind of the, the, the reward. In the clinic, it, in the clinic, the experience is a little more like medical school yeah. uh, in that like you go see patients, you review with your staff, you, may, you are expected like just as you get to know your staff and get some trust, maybe have a little more responsibility. You know, they, you know, they, they trust you to go do injections. Just, just tell them, review with them. Oh, I did. I, this person's here for their cortical steroid injection. They come every, um, you know, six months, you know, it's, it, I, I did it. It went well. Um, you know, they've been sitting nicely. Their pains improved, you know, four or five minutes later with the uh, Zalocane, you know, they're good to go home. Yeah. Uh, and the staff, you know, depends on these trust in the relationship you built with the staff and how much you get used to reviewing the basic stuff. Uh, so clinics a little more like the medical student experience uh, and the office is the same way you review. And of course, you're always responsible for documentation, dictating a note um, and doing the paperwork and everything teed up. In the operating room, of course, like that'd be the last place for us. Uh, that's like a, a thing that you grow. So you're always expected to be there and to assist. And then as you become more senior, you're given more and more responsibility to take on more roles in that operating room and to be expected to do more and to uh, transition into taking on more of the case. Before going into an OR, is there any uh, mental checklist that you have either from the patient perspective or from the technical perspective? Yeah, a, a bunch, right? And you'll develop these as you go. A lot of this stuff is hard to summarize in a podcast episode, yeah. but you know, like definitely making sure your patients are optimized. And I've been reamed out by more than one uh, charge, uh, charge nurse or, or circulating nurse in the OR. Cause I didn't check and make sure there was two units on hold for a patient and we're doing, you know, hip arthroplasty at the high risk of bleeding. You know, it's one of those things where you need to be like thinking ahead. So thinking ahead about their comorbidities, making sure all their medications are held. Are they anticoagulants? Should those be held? Are their cardiac risks? Are they going to need post-op monitoring? Like all that stuff, right? So you're going through their comorbidities, making sure you've got it all teed up and the surgical checklist will help you with that to a certain extent, uh, going through in advance. And then of course, like going to the OR, people talk about this a lot, but you'll get to do more if you have a plan, right? So the more chance you have to review the case ahead of you and to think through the steps of the operation. And that's the biggest difference between being a medical student and being a resident. Like if you're a super keen resident, sorry, super keen medical student, you probably reviewed the case, reviewed, you you looked at Hoppenfels, you reviewed the approach, you know, you got really comfortable with the anatomy. Um, and if you're really keen, you may even have started to do this thing that residents do, which is like build your plan for the operation. But for every case, what, what all the seniors suggest and what you start doing is building your, your operative plan for that case. How am I going to like thinking it through all the way? Like, okay, like what does this patient need? I'm going to need, I'm going to need, what equipment am I going to need? I'm going to need a fracture table. I'm going to need a tourniquet. I'm going to need, um, you know, what pre-op medications I'm going to need TXA. Am I going to need ANSAF? Do they have allergies? And then you're thinking through, you know, how do you want to position the patient? And then you're thinking about like, where's my incision going to be? What's my approach? And not just like the generals, but the specifics, like you need to like, so that's probably the biggest transition to residents for me is like, you have to know the specifics of things. So that's how staff trusts you do things on your own. And until you know the specifics, you're not going to have that trust. So like, where is the incision? How many centimeters from the condyle is the incision? How far do you go? What's the next layer? Like what, where do you put your attractor next? Like all of those details, if you start writing those out, uh, you'll have more trust because you'll know what you're doing next. 
Um, and you have to know all the dangers, all the possible complications of that procedure, all the way down to the to the end. And then what's the post-op plan? What's the follow-up? Are you going to splint them? How, when are you going to see them? When are the staples come out? So that's having that whole plan all the way through will will make you a superstar as a resident if you do that for every case. Now it's hard to do. You won't always manage it, but to the best of your abilities, it will help you prepare. Awesome. That is really, really insightful. saying that doing it in a timely manner is also important well time well time yeah like time management in general as a resident is gonna be one of the biggest challenges uh and it's something i'm still learning as an r1 but i've gotten a lot faster at but managing numerous numerous balls in the air all the time is gonna be something that everyone has to sort out so i know when you're a medical student on orthopedics or any surgical service you know you're expected to show up in the operating room you know be involved with the cases the other resident might say hey like write some orders for me you know that's which is great but you're not, it's, it's just not the same as when you have this pager going off, you have the, the, the paperwork and the orders to deal with, whether or not you have help from a medical student, you have, you might, if you're on call, you might have consults to see between cases, you have floor issues on your patients that came up through the day. And so between the OR days become quite busy and stressful because you're trying to juggle all these things while also having your next operative case to think about, look over the imaging, get everything ready. Uh, and so time management becomes really important. So, you know, time management's huge. Um, do you think there are any other really important skills that you've picked up early in your residency? Getting things teed up in advance would be, is really useful. I would say like one of the most important things you can do is, is set yourself up for success when you have a big list. Like you're gonna, all of us are going to have times in residency when we have like more pages than we know what to do with and having to like prioritize tasks and tee yourself up is something you'll learn and you'll, you'll all do it badly to start. You know, like when you get a call from a hospitalist because you're on call in the middle of the night and they want, you know, they're worried about someone's knee and they, 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 have, a, they have a joint infection and they want you to come tap the knee to confirm uh, their, their suspicion. Um, that can take you 20 minutes or it can take you two hours, depending on how much time you decide then going down there, sorting out where the equipment is. But now if I get that phone call, like I'm calling ahead, I'm, I'm asking the nurse who called, I'm asking the nurse who's responsible for that patient. I need you to find me these seven things, lay them out at the bedside if you don't mind. I'm going to be down there an hour and a half after I do the other things. And we're going to do, we're going to do the aspiration. So she knows to expect me, the things are laid out, we get it done and it's not a big ordeal and it takes you way less time. But that's the kind of thing that like early in residency would take me two hours to get sorted out. And I wasted so much more time than I need to. Um, so that's the kind of like thinking ahead time management skills important, of course, you know, and having the confidence as well, just in general with procedures to, to make an attempt, it's going to come up a lot in residency that, uh, there's some stuff you just have to try and learn reductions, aspirations, uh, as long as you're being safe and you know, the dangers and you know, uh, what to avoid, uh, the rest of it, you have to learn by field to a certain extent. So having the confidence to to go and try and solve these problems and figure out what you're supposed to do uh, with the guidance of your staff is really useful skill. Sweet. Yeah. Just hearing about the way you talk about it and the way your mind works. Like I can imagine you just flying through the hospital, taking care of business. I walk fast. So I've always felt that uh, watching residents and picking up uh, skills from them has been helpful to me. Have there been any, any skills from your seniors that you are trying to emulate right now? For sure. Yeah. So, you know, we have some really good seniors who are really keen on being excellent surgeons. And we've already talked about the biggest thing I've taken away from them, which is like treat your patients like they're yours. I think that's one of the most important things an R1 can do is take responsibility for, for the patients under your care. 
Um, nothing drives a staff crazier than having a resident who sort of rounds on a patient and then is like, oh, they'll be okay. Somebody else is dealing with it. And all of a sudden the staff is being called a week later because no one's seen this patient and there's no plan and the resident ignored it because they, they're not used to having to take that responsibility and they haven't been maintaining a good list in their head. So taking responsibility for your patients is probably like the, one of the number one things you can do as an R1 um, to be a helpful, useful resident. And like really caring about these people. Cause at the end of the day, it's really easy to like, it's oh, I'm a resident. Like I have these jobs to do and you get in your head about it being a job, but like, these are people, right? Like this is someone's grandmother. This is someone's sister. Um, and if you don't do a good job, they're going to either sit in hospital. There's gonna be complications. It's going to cost the system money. Uh, it's going to cost them time in hospital, especially during a pandemic. So like, these are human beings. So you got to really like look after them. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for that uh, perspective. You know, I, you don't hear that a lot. Yeah. Uh, you're the first person who's, who's really said that. So the, the OR stuff's the stuff everybody wants to hear about, right? Like you want to, and it's, like, so it's probably my biggest challenge residency has been like getting faster and getting more efficient in the operating room. But there, uh, you know, you can, you can do the simple stuff. You can practice hand tying at home. You know, you can, you can get the pig's foot and keep practicing your simple, simple interrupted sutures and you're, you know, running sub Q, but at some point nothing, um, or place the real thing and you have to just like have the repetition so the most important thing you can do to become better in the operating room is show up for the operating room like don't hide like if there's an opportunity for you to be at a case to second assist like take it um and you know one of our staff talks about the power of observation like if you're in the operating room but you're not first assisting or it's a case you haven't seen so the staff's doing most of it like don't daydream like watch what they're doing and be attentive to like how do they stand? Where do they hold their elbows in relation to their body when they're, when they're suturing? Like, where do they place their suture? Where do they, where do they grab the suture with, with their, uh, with their pickups when they're moving it through, you know, where do they grab it with the driver when they're, when they're going to take a certain bite, like watch the details and pick those things up and you'll learn a lot. I think that's great advice for anyone. On this podcast, uh, I've been asking every R1 uh, about the challenges or setbacks that they faced. And I've been surprised at the range of responses. It seems like everyone is grappling with a different challenge. Um, and it seems like the challenges change throughout even the first year of residency. Can you recall any setback that you've experienced so far in residency and how you managed to overcome it? Uh, I don't know if I've overcome it yet. Like my biggest, I think, you know, for me, you know, my background, I did a lot more electives in medicine and critical care through medical school. So the ward for me has been my most comfortable area. I'm not afraid of the medicine and the post-op care. It's pretty, it's pretty straightforward as long as you're attentive and, and you know, and you really care about your patients. But for me, the operating room has been the biggest challenge in residency. You know, the expectations, and this is something, you know, worth mentioning on any podcast, the expectations as a resident compared to a medical student it's again, it's similar to what I said before. It's just hard to compare. And the staff start to expect more from you and more from you in a different way. Like if you're a medical student, you show up and you know the anatomy and they give you some jobs, you do them well, like you're, you're off to the races. And if you know more than that, you can actually do an approach. You're doing, you're, you're killing it, right? Like people are really impressed. But as a resident, like the expectation is that you just, you have to know these things because you know, need to be a surgeon and you're going to be handed the knife and you're going to be asked to just make the incision, you know, and there's gonna be a lot of uncertainty. I, I find I have a lot of uncertainty and I had, I'm having a lot of trouble seeing the planes that I need to see, um, especially in bigger, deeper cases like hips. I get, you get lost in the anatomy and it comes with repetition and it comes with volume, but it's definitely one of the biggest challenges. And, you know, where most of us who want to do surgery are used to be good at things. We're used to picking up physical skills quickly and uh, it sucks to not be good at things. So it's definitely something you have to sort of like keep your head up, work hard, uh, 
don't get discouraged if you're not good at this right away because it takes a lifetime to get good at it. And uh, definitely something I always, I'm continuing to work on. You know, we're kind of wrapping up here. Um, I just want to know if there's any other advice that you'd have for, for med students, maybe anything you wish you could say to Cam of 10 months ago and <laughs> any other advice for an incoming R1? Uh, you know what? Um, I could say a million things about resiliency and just like working hard, and, but I would say take care of yourself while you're in residency. Uh, it's probably one of the biggest things. Like yeah. it's going to be a lot of work. You're going to work hundreds of hours, like a month, uh, working as a surgical resident. And it's going to be important learning because you need to learn how to operate on people, but you need to take care of yourself. What you can do with, with the time you have, make sure you're eating well. Make sure, If you're a person who needs exercise like me, make sure you're getting it or it's going to go drive you crazy. I, my first day on call, I didn't bring enough food and the, all the hospital calves during COVID are like closed at 11. And I like was starving and like went to the peds nurses and they ordered A&W with them. Like I was just desperate. Like, so make sure you're bringing enough snacks, make sure you drink lots of water. Actually, that's probably the most important thing you can do is drink more water when you're on call because you'll feel way better in the morning. If you, if you put down four liters of water overnight and, and you actually feel hydrated versus if you're like a chip. So, um, thank you so much. Um, any, anything else, anything else? No, that's, uh, we could talk all day, AJ, but at some oh, point no, yeah, viewers want to get on with their lives. Yeah. Thank you so, so much for your time and energy. I, I genuinely, I love talking to you and I, I feel like I learned a ton from this. So thank you. Hey, anytime. Uh, enjoy chatting with you.